Well, good morning. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Church Albany, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us for our online service today. Uh, so we're going to start by uh, asking some kind of controversial questions. Uh, what do you think about uh, wearing a mask? Good idea? Bad idea? Uh, is, is it too much? Uh, is it too little? Uh, what about sheltering in place? Uh, was that a good idea? Should we go back to it? Uh, was that too much? Was that too little? Uh, what about the, the travel bans uh, that are in place? You know, you, there's some states that uh, you're not allowed to go to anymore, and if you do go, you have to quarantine for 14 days when you get back. Uh, is that a good idea? Uh, is that too much? Uh, is that too little? Uh, what about going back to school? Should we be sending kids back to school? Uh, should we be making teachers go back to school? Uh, is, is that a good idea? Is that a wise idea? Or is that a terrible idea? And I bet, depending on who you are and who you ask, it differs. Uh, and so, for instance, if you were to ask those questions to one of the kids that I grew up with, uh, I grew up in a little town until fifth grade uh, in Indiana, a little town of 3,000 people called Covington. And in Covington, uh, in the, the county around there, there's been less than 100 cases of coronavirus. It just hasn't been that much of a deal there. And so if you were to ask one of them their opinion on these subjects, based off of what they maybe have read, what they have seen on the news, uh, what they have experienced personally, they would have opinions. Uh, and then if you were to go ask uh, my friend Jason, uh, my friend Jason uh, is younger than me. He's in his uh, 20s, maybe his uh, early 30s now. Uh, he's healthy, uh, but he was one of the first people that uh, I knew personally who got the coronavirus, uh, and it was pretty scary. He had to spend a couple nights in the hospital, and then even after he went home, he had to go back into the hospital a few times. And so if you asked him what he thought about all these, based off of what he has read, what he has seen, and what he has experienced personally, he would have his own opinion. Uh, or how about if you asked uh, a doctor, if you went down to Albany Med and you talked to a doctor who's been on some of the COVID floors and they've been working with the patients and they've really seen and based off of everything that they studied in med school and everything that they're learning on a day-to-day -day basis by seeing their patients, they would have an opinion about all this. Uh, and then just for fun, uh, what if you ask uh, our friend Merwin? Uh, some of you might uh, remember uh, Merwin is uh, a missionary that we partnered with. He lives in East Asia. Uh, a couple months ago, my wife Ashley interviewed him on our online service and asking how is the coronavirus affecting him and his country. And he shared that uh, when their country first locked down, they did it within a matter of hours. And it was just kind of this whole crazy deal. But they locked people in so quickly that a lot of people didn't have enough food. And they often don't have enough food, but now they really didn't have enough food. And so he shared that while the coronavirus was a big deal, hunger was an even bigger deal. Uh, and not just hunger, but a lot of the, especially men that were in these homes, uh, were struggling with alcoholism. And so now they were didn't have any alcohol. So they were being forced to detox in their homes uh, by themselves uh, without any help. And they were taking out some of that difficulty of detoxing uh, on their wives and on their kids. And so based off of what he's read, based off of what he's seen, based off of what he's experienced, he would have his own opinions about all this. And that's true of every single one of us. Uh, none of us are 
uninformed now when it comes to masks and social distancing and all of these subjects. Uh, because we have watched the news, we have read articles, uh, we have had our own personal experiences, but based off of which news we watched, based off of which articles we read, and based off of what our personal experience has been, it's possible that we would arrive at very different uh, ideas. Uh, today, we are gonna look at a section of scripture. Uh, we've been going through a, a letter called 1 Corinthians, and we're at 1 Corinthians chapter eight. Uh, so I wanna start off by just reading uh, the first part of this chapter. Uh, here's what it says. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge. Uh, we all know stuff. Uh, we've learned stuff. Uh, we've been informed by all the different sources that we learn stuff. But knowledge puffs up. Uh, have you ever known someone who uh, they know some stuff, but they're a little like puffed up about it? Uh, have you ever seen anybody on maybe your Facebook uh, or your Twitter? And based off of, you know, this one thing they read, this one documentary, this one conversation, uh, they have now taken uh, what is maybe a very complex idea, and now they are very certain and very black and white and very clear about it. And it really doesn't matter what anyone else says. They, they know what is right. Because knowledge has a way of puffing us up a little bit. But love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Is it possible that knowing something is different than loving? And is it possible to know something but yet not know all of it? And maybe not knowing someone else's perspective would, present, would, would prevent you from really being able to see the clear picture. Uh, like I said, today we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter eight, and I think this is an incredibly interesting uh, uh, text of scripture. Uh, one, it gives us a great perspective on how we should approach different parts of the Bible. Uh, so one of the things that we talk about on a regular basis is that the Bible uh, is not actually a book. Uh, the Bible is actually a collection. Uh, it's, it's a library of books, of letters, of ancient documents, and they're all very old. Some of them are 2,000 years old. Some of them are 4,000 years old. And so one of the amazing things about the Bible is that when we read it and we're reading this thing that's 2,000 years old, you know, written by real people to real places in real situation, it's amazing how relevant so much of it still is. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we have looked at what Paul had to say 2,000 years ago to this city in the ancient Roman Empire called Corinth uh, and what he had to write about love and marriage and sex. And it was still just so spot on, like so relevant to what we all need to hear. I mean, he could easily be writing to people that are in 21st century America, Albany. You know, it's still so incredibly relevant. But then there's other things that you read in the Bible that's like, oh my, this just seems so outside of our world. I mean, this, this was obviously written about something that like maybe I guess was an issue 2,000 years ago, but I just don't see how it relates to us today here in our world. And this is one of those sections where when we read it, you know, like, all right, that, that situation does not apply to me at all. Uh, and that's probably true. But... There is a principle here. 
there is a, a, an issue of the heart. Uh, there's a way in which we handle difficult sub subjects of what we think we know and the difference between knowing and loving that is absolutely relevant for us today. Uh, so I'm going to first explain what Paul was talking about 2,000 years ago to this group in Corinth, uh, and then we'll build a bridge to how it applies to us today. Uh, so here's the situation. Paul was writing to this ancient uh, a city in Corinth, and Corinth was an incredibly religious city. Uh, and so there was temples everywhere, made up to all these different gods. And so one of the things that if you lived in Corinth 2,000 years ago is that you would more than likely be a part of one, if not multiple, temples. And when you went to the temple, a normal thing that you would do is that you would make sacrifices. You would bring some sort of an animal and you would sacrifice. Uh, and the reason you would do this is because you wanted to somehow earn the God's favor or you wanted to make the God's you know, wrath go away from you and you, you thought that man, if I do this sacrifice and that's going to help my crops grow, that's going to you know, help me to be able to have a family, it's going to help me uh, to be healthy, it's going to help me to be able to have money and so I need to keep doing these sacrifices because it's going to make the God happy, it's going to make the God not mad at me and it's just part of the relationship that I have with this God and it's something that I need to do. And so they would bring these uh, animals in and they would sacrifice uh, the animal and then they would have this meat left over. And they would usually eat some of the meat right there. So part of the sacrifice, part of the ceremony was eating the meat and there was lots of superstitious stuff that went along with that of that, you know, part of the, the God was going into you when you ate the meat and there was, you know, stuff with the smoke, you know, and it all kind of had to do with each other. Uh, but then, after you had this meal from the uh, meat that was sacrificed, there was still lots of extra meat. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten like a, a whole animal before. Uh, a couple years ago, Ash and I went in with some friends and we all bought uh, a cow together. And so we all got like a section of this cow. And so I think we got like a quarter of a cow. And it was like a crazy amount of meat. Like we had meat for like six months off of just like a quarter of a cow. So after they sacrifice this animal, there's like all kinds of extra meat even after they have this meal. So then they would take some of the extra meat and they would just put that out in the temple. And so anyone else who was visiting in the temple that day could get a free meal. And that was kind of a perk of being a part of that temple. But even after they let some of the food go out and people could eat it in the temple, there was still leftovers. So they would take some of that meat and they would bring it to the market and they would sell it. Uh, and so it was very, very possible that in a city like Corinth 2,000 years ago, any piece of meat that anyone was ever eating, uh, whether it was a actually a part of the sacrifice, whether they just stopped into the temple that day for a meal, or whether they went to the market to go buy food, that all of the meat at some point had been sacrificed to some god. Uh, and then Anna, in this city system one day walked this guy Paul, and Paul presented this message of Jesus and the idea that Jesus was the Son of God and that there was in fact one true God and all of a sudden there was now this small group of people in Corinth who believed. They believed that Jesus really was who he said he was. They believed that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he was the one true God. Which then meant that all these other gods are fakes, uh, are frauds, and that it was all a lie that the you know everything that went on in that temple you know the the statue in that temple that they said was a god 
isn't actually a god. It's just a piece of stone. Uh, it's just a bunch of wood. That the sacrifice that they did and the smoke that went up, you know, that, there was there was nothing to that. Uh, no god was being pleased or being appeased because of that. Uh, their crops weren't going to grow or not grow because of anything they did. I mean, it had no effect on their life whatsoever. And that was kind of just like, must have been a crazy revelation to them to realize that these things that they had been doing for years and years and that you know their their parents had done and their grandparents had done was all just a lie and it was a fraud. Uh, I remember when I was in college uh, I got a chance to go to Mexico City and uh, we went and visited this uh, ancient Aztec temple and it was kind of in ruins by that point but they told us a story that uh, they used to go up on this temple every single uh, morning, but b before morning, before the sun came up, and they would do child sacrifices, which is a you know terrible, horrible thing. But what they believed is that you needed to do a child sacrifice every day or else the sun wouldn't rise. That's what was going to make the gods happy so that they would send the sun to come up again. Uh, and then when Cortez came into Mexico, he thought that was... a uh, a not good system and so he banned them from doing that and so there was one day where they officially said okay today's the, it's today it's not gonna happen so they you know held back all the uh, Aztec uh, individuals and they said you can't go to the temple today you can't sacrifice anybody and you can imagine just like how scared I mean the Sun's not gonna come up I mean we, we know what it takes to make the Sun come up and now you're not letting us do that and so it's just gonna be dark forever and then, lo and behold, the sun came up still. And what a crazy, you know, a paradox, you know, blowing experience that must have been for the people. And that's kind of what was going on for these folks in Corinth. And it quickly created two different groups of these now Christians who believed in Jesus. Uh, and there was one group of them, and what they believed is, hey, it's all fake, it's all a fraud, but there's still free meat available if you go to the temple. Uh, there's still meat at the market that you go to, and like, yeah, it was all, you know, a sham what it went to, and there was some kind of, you know, some like weird practices that went along with it, but hey, it, it's still free meat, it's still good, it's still a meal, and like, it, it, it's not going to hurt anybody if you go ahead and eat it. And then there was another group of people that said, you know what, I... I really don't want anything to do with that anymore. Uh, I used to go to that temple on a daily, weekly, monthly uh, basis, and like, man, the, the stuff that I saw there, the stuff that was said, uh, the, 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 that whole kind of like belief system, I now see is just like so screwed up, so messed up, so manipulative. Like, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that at all anymore. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have their meat. I don't want, I don't want to go into the temple. I, I just don't want anything to do with that anymore. And, and I think that God wouldn't want me to do it either. And so there's this kind of big debate between this one group of Christians that are like, yeah, we all agree it's a fraud, but like, hey, no big deal. Let's eat the meat. And there was another that were saying, no way you should definitely not eat this meat. Uh, so that's kind of the, the context to what we're going to uh, read. So now I'm going to read to you uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 8. It says, Now, uh, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. 
knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. We all know something uh, about this uh, meat stuff. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know, I mean, we, we, we all know this. An idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and from whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as being sacrificed to an idol. All those memories come back, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. So this is what I want you to do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have the knowledge of eating in an idol temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols, so that his weak brother from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge? When, you're, when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Uh, all right, so Paul's talking about these two different groups and what they believe. Uh, and it's interesting. Paul quickly kind of gives his side of it. He says, this isn't like something like, this isn't a mystery. It's something we can't know. There is a right and a wrong answer to this. The right answer is that this meat is, the idols were nothing, that this was nothing, and if you want to eat the meat, you have every right to do it. You have the freedom to do it. God's not going to be mad about it. It's not going to hurt anybody. But he says, sometimes you might not want to do what you have the right to do what you have the freedom to do. You might give up those rights, you might give up that freedom so that you can love somebody else. Uh, now here's what that looks like in a more uh, modern context. Uh, a couple examples. Uh, as, as some of you know, uh, my wife and I, especially Ashley, travel to uh, the developing world on a regular basis uh, to help kids there and we get to go to these different villages and uh, Ashley leads different teams down there and one of the regular things uh, that we have to instruct teams on is that there's a certain dress code that we have to have when we go into the villages especially the women on our team need to have a very specific dress code uh, in particular women are not allowed to wear shorts uh, oftentimes they are not allowed to wear pants they have to wear long skirts uh, and the reason for that is because that in many of these cultures, it's seen as very promiscuous uh, to wear shorts or pants. And so if you're wearing shorts or pants, they might think that you're trying to be very promiscuous uh, or maybe that you're flaunting yourself as a prostitute. Now, it would be extremely easy for someone on one of our teams to say, that's crazy. Uh, I... I'm not, I have every right in the world to wear shorts and wear pants. I, I know what's going on. I'm not being promiscuous. And, and the deal is, is that their whole culture is just wrong. Uh, it is backwards. 
our culture is right. And so I have the right, I have the freedom, and so I'm going to do whatever I want. Or they can decide that even though I have the right to, for their benefit, to not cause them to struggle and to be uncomfortable, I'm going to give up my rights. And even though it's, it's hot, uh, even though I had to go out before the trip and buy clothes that I didn't even own before, I'm going to go with what is comfortable for them because of love. Uh, another example. Uh, when uh, Ash and I uh, got married, uh, we had our wedding ceremony, we had our, our reception, and we had a decision to make. Uh, my grandfather was going to be at the ceremony and was going to be at the reception. And he's, he was a Christian and kind of comes from a very uh, more conservative background. And one of his beliefs was that Christians shouldn't have anything to do with alcohol. Uh, they shouldn't drink at all. Not just that Christians shouldn't get drunk, but the Christians shouldn't drink at all. And we knew that it would be, make him very uncomfortable if we had alcohol at our wedding. Now, it would have been very easy for Ashley and I to say, you know what, I, this, is, this isn't your wedding. This isn't your reception, and we are, are fine with alcohol. We're fine if people drink, as long as they're being responsible about it, and we, we, we trust ourselves, we trust the people that are coming to our wedding, you know, no one's going to be drinking and driving, people are going to be responsible. Like, it, we have every right in the world that if we want to have alcohol at our wedding, it would be fine. Or we could choose to give up what is right for us, what we have the freedom to do for the benefit, uh, for the love of somebody else. Uh, this is uh, the decision that we've had to make as a, as a leadership, as a church over the last little bit. Uh, a lot of people have asked the question, when are we going to go back to live services? Uh, and the truth is, is that we could have gone back to live services a long time ago. Uh, and there's ways in which we could have like figured it out and you know there's loopholes in the system and in the laws and you know uh, we could have kind of really made a point to say like hey based off of like the other rallies that are going on based off the other demonstrations that are going on uh, based off of lots of different things that are going on in the world we think that we have a right to be able to meet and no one else is going to tell us what to do or we could choose to give up some of our own rights. We could give up some of our own freedoms for the benefit and for the love of somebody else. And the point that Paul is trying to make here is that as Christians, our number one job is not just to be right, is not just to do what we can do, is to not just demonstrate our freedom, that the most important thing for us to do as Christians, the most important thing for us to do as dads, as friends, uh, as fellow co-workers, is to love other people. And this is so, so, so important. Uh, I've talked to folks before and they have, uh, sometimes it's people in their families, sometimes it's uh, uh, friendships that they had, and it just, there was a break at one point, you know, there was some some big fight, you know, there was some Thanksgiving, there was some Christmas, there was some phone call, there was something where just like the family has like never really been together since that point. Uh, they, they, these two people have never really talked since then. 
And when you go back, it's often that there was one person who was right. There was one person who was fighting for what seemed to be fair, what seemed to be just. But the way in which they handled it wasn't full of love, wasn't full of kindness, wasn't taking into account what the other person might have been experiencing. Uh, I've talked to other people and they used to be a, a part of a church and at some point they, they left. And it was because uh, some sort of an issue was presented to them of something that you know was, was wrong, something that they needed to work on. Uh, and they just, based off of how the church handled it, they left. And oftentimes when I hear the story, I'm like, you know, the, the church might have been right. Uh, the church might have even been biblical. But the way they handled it wasn't in love. And what Paul says, that there is times where we need to lay down what might be better for us, what might be more convenient for us, what might be our personal preference for the benefit and for the love of other people. Uh, Paul is saying, hey, I'm fine with eating meat. I think it's fine. But if it's going to make other people uncomfortable, if it's going to make other people struggle, Paul's laying out this declaration that I'm fine not eating meat for the rest of my life. Uh, I'll be a vegetarian, I'll do whatever it takes because people are more important than being right. Uh, this series that we've been in forever now, going to 1 Corinthians, uh, we've called uh, Being Selfless. And that's the whole idea of what Paul is talking about, is there's a way in which you live where you can live selfish. And you can live based off of your knowledge and what you believe is right, and kind of however that affects other people, you know, that, that's their own problem, but here's what I know is right for me. Or you can live selflessly and say, you know what? Yeah, I know what's right, but you know what? I don't need to post that uh, on Facebook. Uh, I don't need to confront them on that. Uh, I, I don't need to kind of live out my freedom in front of them. I'm okay to have a little bit of humility and a little bit of grace. And the reason why we live in that incredibly difficult and uncomfortable way is because of Jesus and because of that's how he loved us. Uh, think about this. Jesus had every right in the world to spend his entire existence in heaven in perfection. But he chose to come down to earth as a human and get all uncomfortable and dirty and grimy and uh, all the problems and pain that go along with human existence. And he did that uh, out of love. Even though he had every right to stay where he was, he came down to spend time with us. And think about the interactions that Jesus had with all kinds of people. Think about all the things that Jesus didn't say. I mean, Jesus knew every single person. I mean, he could have sat down with every single person that he met and said, here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's right, and here's what's right, and here's what's right, and here's what's right. And, what's right. and he just could have just gone on and on and on. But with so many people, he gave them only what they could handle. And oftentimes, he, he did it only after taking the time to get into their circumstances and get into their shoes and give them to what they handle. And we don't have to say everything either. 
just because we have knowledge of something doesn't mean that it's our job to go out and be the morality police for everybody. Because what we believe about Jesus is that the reason why Jesus didn't have to correct every single person about every single thing is that Jesus was more interested in a relationship. He wanted to be inside of them. He wanted to be inside of us. And he knew that we would all begin a journey. And that in the course of the journey of our life, there's a good chance that we won't address everything that's wrong in our life and we won't be right about everything. And Jesus said, that means there's going to be a gap. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill that gap. Uh, I'm going to pay for all the mistakes, all the things that are wrong, and I'm going to do that by sacrificing myself on the cross. And that's what we remember when we, when we celebrate communion each week. Uh, so today as we take communion, let's remember this God that gave up his rights and his freedom out of love for us and help us to give that same kind of humility and freedom and giving up our own rights to the people in our lives as we love them as well. Let's take the bread. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the ways in which you serve and love us. Help us to serve and love the other people in our lives too, even if that makes us uncomfortable, even if that means we have to give up something that we don't want to give up. Help us to love and sacrifice and follow after you. Let me pray. Amen. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to sing one last song.